What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Unstoppable REI Wealth. I'm your host, Billy Alvaro, and this is episode 110, and I'm loving it. Today, I, I kind of interviewed people all from the Northeast. Today, I'm interviewing Faquan Bilal from North Jersey, and I got to tell you, the guy's been doing this for 24 years, wealth of information, and he has a really unique business because he's doing higher-end fix and flips and new ground-up construction, and he also does commercial real estate investing on the apartment side and he's able to do all this with 20 people in his organization highly operationally efficient and he runs a fund that enables him to go out and buy these properties for cash and he does a lot of other other things that i think you guys are going to enjoy this i pulled out four or five really cool nuggets from the conversation there's probably another handful or more i hope you guys enjoy it he is a down-to-earth giver who is really making a change in the world and making things happen. Welcome to Unstoppable Real Estate Investing Wealth. My name is Billy Alvaro, aka the Unstoppable VA, former billion dollar mortgage banker, gone bankrupt, turned professional real estate investor, where each week you'll learn the tools, strategies, systems, and secrets myself and other highly successful real estate investing entrepreneurs use to start grow and scale their businesses, creating massive profits and how you can too. And we'll teach you how to put those profits to work so you no longer have to. Get ready to finally experience financial freedom and generational wealth. Now let's get started. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode, Unstoppable REI Wealth. I'm your host, Billy Alvaro, the Unstoppable BA. And, you know, I always open up the show. I'm like, I'm super excited because that's my energy. I just love to be excited about shit. But Yo, honestly, I'm interviewing somebody today in my backyard, New Jersey, moved out here three years ago. Faquan Bilal, I've been listening and hearing your freaking name come up in more circles over the last three years since I moved here. And people think I'm nuts. Like, how do you not know Faquan? How do you not know this guy? Finally, I met you face to face, what, about a month and a half ago? Yeah, and it's crazy. We, we've we been in the same mastermind, I think, uh, for like, years. I've been in almost four and a half years. Insane. And I told you the first time I saw you, I saw you cry on stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it came out, bro. It came out. That's so funny. That vulnerability was authentic, though. I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, you know what? I When I joined 13, 12 years ago, 11 years ago, I had to make a decision. Am I going to go in and am I going to be true and authentic or am I going to try to be opposed like things are great? And I went in there, bro, raw. And I got to tell you, it really connected with a bunch of different people because they're like, that's real, bro. Like you just expose yourself and opened up and like let it out in front of this whole crowd. A lot of respect I got from that. And it was like turning point for me because for years I was like holding it in on how I lost that big business I had. And I like was having a struggle and $14 million in debt. And I got to a point where it's like when I opened it up, it was kind of a release and it felt great just to actually talk about it, get it off my chest. But enough about me. This, this this podcast is about you, Faquan. So listen, give us a background. Like you have 24 years. I mean, you look like you're 30 years old, so I don't know how to tell you 24 years in here. But you have 24 years in the industry. Give us just a brief overview of what you've done. And now I want to really get into what you're doing today because you're doing some really amazing things. Yeah, so what we do today, because we – different iterations of, of how we got to where we are. So I started in 99, just doing fix and flips. Then it went over to the note business after the market crash. And today we do a hybrid of 
fix and flip still here in New Jersey, more of mid to high end stuff. And we do a lot of multifamily rentals, uh, anywhere from 40 units to maybe 150 units. So it's a hybrid model we have and we derive income from those two uh, business models. So that helps us create a buffer, a hedge against market uncertainty. Like right now, people are saying a flips is slow because they can't find inventory. Yeah, uh, we still are targeting um, multifamilies that are 90% plus occupied and just using that strategy to kind of offset inflation by just building a rental income. So I love the model. I love having two folks in a row. Do you do any type of wholesaling? Or you kind of stay away from that. No, I, I, I learned my lesson um, with wholesaling. It's not my speed, as they say. I um, I when I joined the mastermind, I saw people guys were making grossing a million dollars off of wholesale keyword gross mm -hmm. and it was a shiny object and i got involved with it and spent two years going down that road and just figured it I was the wrong market timing so the market was changing yeah uh, it, be, it was becoming a seller's market and i wasn't getting as much traction um as the investment i was making um and i realized that you have to spend a massive amount of money if you want to get results, thirty, fifty thousand dollars a month in marketing, and I wasn't willing to spend that much because it was new to me, and I was like, I, I, I didn't lead enough lead generation from my years in business from the resources that um, it just didn't work out. So I made the pivot to focusing on what we was our core focus and going deep instead of wide. So you know, that that's that's right there. It, it, that's education. That's that's knowledge, right? Like you're just spitting out deep, not wide. A lot of guys try to go out there and they try to take over. They want to conquer the world. They want to go all over the place and spread themselves out. But with real world experience, you realize doing that model sometimes it's, it's good for some, but it's not good for all. And yeah, I think that model was good. I, I think that model was good for guys who came from short sales to like transition into wholesale, and then eventually they'll transition to okay, I need to build some rentals while I'm wholesaling. Yep. And then it'll, you know, get into other stuff. But yeah, for me, I did some short sales also, but it, it really, really wasn't something. It was just a way to get to the property, right? Like tax liens or whatever other strategy to get to the property. Just another strategy to acquire the deal, no doubt. We did a ton of short sales back in the day. We still have a pipeline right now of like 12, 13 deals, 14 deals that we work on. Once every like six to eight weeks, something pops. Most of them die because they just don't give the value that we need in order to make it happen. So it's a numbers game. What does your organization look like today, structure-wise? Tell me about the amount of people, and that includes, you know, VAs, W2, 1099, just the whole mix of what your team looks like. Yeah, we have a small shop. We have about 20 employees um, on average. We keep about 20. The, the most I would ever want to get up to would be 25. Um, I like to keep a small boutique shop. I don't want to have 100 employees. I don't blame um, you. You know, we have we do uh, project management in-house for our fix and flips. And basically they manage the GCs. So we do everything in house from design implementation with the architects and then, you know, negotiate all those contracts for our fix and flips. And we also have an asset management team that manages the property managers. So we have property managers, which is our boots on the ground at the multifamilies in the Southeast. Yep. And our asset managers spend time making sure that they execute the plan that we put together on a performance. So, we also have investor relations team. We have some admin people, construction office admins. We have a business relationship management team that take care of transaction coordination and lending, you know, some operations people. 
and that's pretty much it. What is your organization? How does it go about acquiring property? Start on the fix and flip side, and then I want you to roll over to the to the multifamily. Yeah, so through an abundance of different resources from wholesalers, from realtors we get leads from, our direct-to-seller campaign that we have still, just a, just different ways. You'll be in the business so long, you have leads come to you here and there. We don't have any mail campaigns. We're not doing any texting. We're not doing any ringless voicemails. We're not doing any of that. I kind of shut all that down when I stopped doing wholesaling. We had the cold calling. We had all of that stuff. So, you know, and then once we, we get the lead, our business relationship management team procures the lending and handles the transaction coordination piece. And then it goes to our project managers and they kind of manage the the, pro, the, um, the process of construction from there. So that's it. And then on the multifamily side, we have a, a bunch of brokers that we deal with. And basically the brokers are the ones that help us generate the leads. We also yep. have property management companies in the Southeast that help us generate leads also for off-market multifamily deals. And that's kind of how we find a lot of deals that we have on that you side. Know, I've been interviewing quite a few people in the multifamily space and very, like real estate is real estate, but it's different with their nuances. Acquisition side to multifamily is a complete 180 reversal from how it is on the, on the single family side. Like a lot of the single family guys, if it's referral marketing, it's one thing, but when they're marketing, TV, direct mail, texting, phone calls, all this other crap, I find that in the commercial side is exactly what you said. It's relationships with a big period after it. That's absolutely, it. absolutely. So, you know, once a broker, so one trick that I did, and I'll share this with you, how I was able to get on a radar, right? So, you know, three years ago, maybe a little bit more than three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago, we started to plant our flag in the Southeast, uh, looking at multifamily deals. And one of the things when I was calling around brokers, right, we had no track record. They were like, who are you? Where have you purchased? You know, why should I send you, you know, exclusive deals? Like, establishing those new relationships was tough. So what I did was when I closed my first deal, I did a PR, a press release, right? And I targeted the Southeast, announcing the acquisition of a specific property, what we paid for it, the lender we used. And basically it was something for potential investors to see what we did. And also it put us on the radar uh, with those brokers who read the news of what's happening, who's just purchased, what lenders are lending. So every time we would close, we would do a press release and we would get so, a bunch of emails from those guys. Hey, I just saw you close this in Macon. Hey, I just saw you close this in Columbus. So That's a nugget, bro. Um, yeah. So we created a situation where um, we started getting inbound uh, calls from the brokers and basically they started sending us stuff. Um, now, more than ever, we're getting a bunch of calls because of where the market is at. <laughs> yeah, the market's definitely shifting. Yeah. Especially on the commercial side, it's it's definitely moving. Yeah, but I mean, you got so many ty different types of deals out there. I mean, in this marketplace, we, we can only look for deals that are 90% more occupied or we can get permanent financing. A year ago, the deal was, okay, we'll get it less than 90%. We'll get some short-term financing. We'll stabilize it. We'll increase the occupancy rate and we'll refinance into permanent financing. Today is not that model. Today, we're only looking for great deals deals that are 90% or more occupied that we can get permanent financing from out the gate. So we don't have to worry about, you know, the, the cost of capital that changed that. 
Yeah. And, and the underwriting guidelines, or is it a combination of both? No, it's it's how our model shifted. So because of interest rates have increased it, our model has shifted to not buying stuff because of the cost of capital that needs a longer timeline to do capital expansion, you know, capex repairs. So it doesn't make sense to buy something that's not going to cash flow, right? So we're buying stuff, and it's really hard to find these deals. You have to find them off market sometimes. All the time, actually, what I'm finding now is you have to create um, uh, seller financing with the seller, right? Create a deal. Hey, you know, if you've owned this property for 10, 15, 20 years, you don't want to sell it and get this big uh, tax uh, burden. So why don't you create some type of financing? How much money do you really need right now? You can be the bank. I can make monthly payments. If you are going to buy something that's not 90 percent occupied, that would definitely be the strategy you can use. Because the seller will become the bank, you can get like maybe a six percent. You put down, um, you know, twenty-five percent or whatever you have to do, and they will finance the deal for maybe three to five years. You have it stabilized, and then you can go into permanent financing. And that's the only way I'm seeing that you can structure a deal that's not um, that doesn't have the high occupancy you need for permanent financing. That's smart that, way to do it. Yeah. Are you finding a lot of the investors that have the multifamilies? They're more open. To do with some sort of self-financing they are it just depends on what their plans are right so if they, if they don't want to deal with it or they're not familiar with of how it works you'll see a lot of the old timers are familiar with seller financing so it's the younger generation where the parents pass and they don't want to deal with the headaches they want to sell the property and continue to be on the beach they just want the cash you know yeah. some of them are are savvy enough to know owner financing will set them up for success and if it if it hiccups, they can always come back and take the property back again. It's just really you have to get in your bag and be you know a good salesman to kind of structure the deal the right way. Yeah, it all comes down with personality and connecting. And so that gets me to the next question. On your multifamily side, do you have deal analysts that are running through these deals? What how's it structured? A hundred percent. Yeah, we have an, an acquisition team in house that kind of run through the analysis of it. You know, we use certain softwares where we kind of do our due diligence and check comps and um, and crime rate is a whole is a whole due diligence process that we go through. We we really don't go off of just a pro forma because that's it's all lies. I mean they're gonna paint a beautiful picture yeah. um, to sell the project. I mean it sells right. So we kind of dig through it. We go through lease audits. We go through a, a bunch of different things that we do in the due diligence process. But yeah, we we underwrite it and if it pans out. Then, you know, we'll go take a trip, kick the tires and see what the CapEx expenses are. We, we try to structure a an LOI with an early access agreement, which basically tells the seller, hey, we're going to save both ourselves time and trouble before we go on a contract. If you let me get in and do some preliminary inspections at my cost. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm showing you're willing to invest. I'll probably spend three, four five thousand dollars do some preliminary due diligence on it, let my team come in and check out the roof and everything else, sewer scope and some other stuff. Uh, we're not asking to get into all the units, but maybe a handful of units. And basically we do, um, you know, sewer scope roof. We check the grounds and all that. And then I can get some data to give me an assessment of CapEx um, and let me know if I want to move forward with the deal if the seller is willing to, you know, renegotiate or whatever it is. We don't like to trade deals. So, we like to know when we go into contract that it's official unless we find something um, that happens down the line with environmental or, or phase one or whatever it is. So that's the only time that we would go back to the seller and go, hey, we need to sharpen the pencil a little more because we found this additional cost that you didn't disclose. 
maybe there's some foundation issues or whatever that we may find in the early access agreement. So we try to structure that way. And then we go into contract and we still have that due diligence period to kind of um, get out if we need it. How many, I'm sure you probably notice off the top of your head, but how many deals on the commercial side do you have to look at before you actually make an LOI? And then how many LOIs do you have to go to to actually spend the money before you get a deal? Yeah, we got to kiss a lot of frogs in this business. Oh, 100%. Um, <laughs> but you know what? It actually helps you increase your due diligence skills. I mean, nobody wants to waste time, right? But it's the nature of the beast. You got to go through the process. So so I would say this do one in 10. And we go through 10 deals that we evaluate. We'll say maybe in this marketplace, uh, around three to four would pan out. Um, and then we would take those three to four, do the early access agreement, maybe one will go through that process. So it's like what, 10%? Yeah, 10%, which is actually not bad. Yeah, 10%. So, but you got to kiss a lot of frogs. So, but I mean, it's, it's, we're just being more selective on our deals and more upfront with, you know, like for example, a broker will send me a deal and he'll say, this is what they want. Um, it's 65% occupied. And my first question is, are they willing to sell a financing? No, they're not. Okay, good. Next. Yeah, I'm not interested. That's your right. You're right out the door. You just you're whacking them out. Before yeah, you. I'm not interested because I know I'm not interested in getting short term financing from a lender where it's nine percent, eight percent, ten percent, two points. Yeah. Like I'm not going to do that. So it's I'm not going to waste my time even looking at the deal and starting to analyze it. So ask a few questions. If if it passed that, then we move to the next phase. I love so it. And it saves my team time. It saves me time and aggravation. What, if you don't mind me asking, your acquisitions team, the deal analysts, are they on salary plus commission? Uh, yes, absolutely. And they're in-house, they're not overseas? In-house, yes. Yeah, good move. And your PMs on the residential side, how do you go about paying them? Do you pay them salary plus bonus? Absolutely. Yeah, smart way to do it. Project finish on time and on budget. That's the same way we do it, on time, yeah. on budget. We give a piece of the piece. And then we have a little bit of leeway. How, how do you handle the on time piece when you have permitted projects like there's a lot of them that are permitted out here in jersey new york well it's, it's start after the permits are given that's when the timeline start because we really can't start working until we have permits so yeah. you know it's not from when they first get the project it starts from the date we have the full yeah and you're ready to go so there's a whole process that we go through once we get the architecture drawings and we start to get pricing back from the 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 rfps from the uh the contractors uh, we then give them an loi a letter of intent to do business with them and basically we start with the first phase if it's a ground up you know we start with foundation whatever whatever it is demolition if it's a fix and flip and then it's timeline we use uh build the trend is a system that we use and we can map out from beginning to end bring our team of contractors in that system so they can see what's happening if something is delayed and you know we have weekly accountability calls to see if we're on track off track uh, some of the stuff is on the rocks you know the drill the rocks and deliverables eos we run that model and we ids things where we have trouble so that kind of keeps us on track and we haven't if it's something that is out of budget not due to the project manager then you know we have a little leniency yeah, we run a very similar model that way yeah. On your on your uh, your construction fix and flip development side, what kind of volume are you guys doing over there annually? Yeah, we we have about 25 deals right now. We we do about 25 a year. I mean, it's a I hear guys who do 200, 300 deals a year. I mean, those are like 
$60,000 houses. I mean, right. our yeah, properties sell, you know, a million two, a million five, 800,000. Those are our average ARVs. So let, um, let me pick your brain on this, on the new construction side. What is your analysis to pick up the land versus the, what it's going to sell for ARV wise? Do you, what's your, like, do you have a formula for that? Oh, it breaks down to the same, right? So it's what I pay for is what the construction cost is. Let's just say if I want to make 10% profit, you know, I would back out all those expenses. If it's 10% ARV, so if the ARV is a million two, okay, I want to make 120,000 profit minimum. So we just back out with the land cost, what's the holding cost. We stress test the model doing a holding cost 18 months instead of a year. Yep. Um, you know, we calculate all that in there. And then basically we take the ARV, we take 15% off of that. And whatever that number is, if we back it out and it's, you know, 10%, okay, we, we it's green light to move forward with it. That's the simplest way I can tell you. Yep, yep. Because we have a, a real quick down and dirty. It's generally like between 20 and 30% land value is what we're willing to spend for the land, knowing that we're going to be making our 15, 10 to 15 to 14% on the back end when we sell it. Yeah, we just throw it all in there. So a lot of times it's not raw land. It's a property we have to tear down. Yep. So majority of the time I'm looking for something. So if somebody see this podcast and you got this deal for me, you can send it to me. I want to do a cul-de-sac piece. So I want to find a piece of land, maybe three acres, and I can build like six properties on it and just have all my problems in one place. So makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I'm looking for deals like that now instead of doing a deal over here in this town, that town over here. I want to start doing more of those type of developments. So you can have all you can do economies of scale with the uh, materials. You can do so much more um, when you're dealing with it on that level. So that's kind of what we're looking for. More land deals where we can parcel up the land and and make it happen. It takes longer, though, because you got to get variances and stuff, but it's so worth it. 100 percent worth it. Let's flip over now. I want to talk about how you started to scale your business, right? On the fix and flip side, new development side, and on the construction side. You're doing things a little bit unique, right? In order for you to scale, you and I had a brief conversation. You don't go out and do onesies, twosies with these notes and mortgages and try to fund your business that way. What's your business model? What did you do over the last couple of years? And what are you doing now in order to scale your business to support the growth that you're having on both the fix and flip and the commercial side? Operational efficiency. So some people want to get bigger. I we we want to scale to be better. So operational efficiency helped us implementing an EOS model was definitely a game changer. You know, creating those uh the long term ten year plan back into the three year to one year, then the quarterlies that really helped us stay on track and visiting that vision traction or organize it every quarter with the team. Hey, are we on track with the annual goal? And once we started breaking it down to the weekly L10s and, and creating some type of structure and getting more efficiency, we started to get a lot more traction. So that kind of helped us with a lot of different things, buying in bulk with the fix and flip stuff, buying a lot of stuff in bulk, storing stuff, um, you know, helped us as well. When you can, when you, you know, buy in bulk, you talk about materials, materials, like, for example, even with Home Depot, we have an account with Home Depot, we can buy. Um, let's say 10,000 square feet of flooring, and they will actually keep it in their store on the shelves for us when we need it. We can pull it. So we just have to figure out through our rep, okay, which store has the storage space that we if we pay for it now, you guys will hold it for us, and then when we need it, you just ship it. So creating those type of relationships with your vendors 
going direct with the supplier versus dealing with the middleman, like on Windows and all that other stuff. So we've spent a lot of time developing those resources and building it out. Um, efficiency also helped us developing a PowerPoint that has every detail of the property, what the exterior is, what the interior is, where the project manager can create scope of work. So we could change those scope of works to QR codes and we can put those QR codes in a window all over the property. So they're not calling us and saying, what are we doing? They can just scan it and see exactly what it is. It comes up in a QR code, the scope of work. So creating an operational efficiency has helped us scale um, and get rid of the chaos. And it's still a daily work, daily, pro daily process to continue to make it better, right? Good, good nuggets right there, dude. The QR code, great nugget. And buying in bulk from Home Depot or these other these other suppliers and having them store for you, fantastic. Like, yeah, two, two really good nuggets. Talk, talk to me about your fund. Oh yeah, so a fund is is a whole separate business. This is something that I I learned in 2011 uh, how a fund works, and it's funny. It, actually, my son, um, we were driving in the car, and I was doing short sales at the time, and he heard me um, not having a not so pleasant conversation with the negotiator. I guess what they called them, right? What do they call the short sale negotiator, right? Yeah, yeah. It's been so long. And um, he said, why don't you just become the bank? Because I was like, these banks don't want to give anybody a break. They so hard. He said, why don't you just become the bank? And I was like, that's impossible. He was like, that you said anything is possible. And I'm like, oh, I did say yeah. that. Didn't I? So <laughs> I started to talk to a few people and um, I learned about a fund. And in 2013, after many years of, of speaking to different consulting with different SEC attorneys, I decided to go with an SEC attorney instead of the companies that set up the paperwork for you and help you raise. I didn't want to do that yep. because they have like a boiler template and it's not the same as you want. So set up the first fund in 2013. And at the time I was heavily into notes and started to raise the capital for that. And uh, I had the opportunity to cycle through four funds doing that successfully paying off investors. And around 2017, I saw the market started to shift a little bit. So I started to get more back into fix and flips. And in 20, 2019, I created the hybrid model where I can essentially is written in my PPM that I can buy notes, I can buy fix and flip, so I can do multifamily. So Love it. you're not firing off on all cylinders at all times, right? So like right now, there's a shift in the market where it's tough to find inventory for fix and flips. So that channel is not as robust as it used to be. And we're focusing more of the efforts on the multifamily stuff to have cash flow to kind of offset SGNA, make sure we have profit coming in the door to make our distributions to our investors. So that's pretty much those are the assets that are in the fund today. And that's the model that we have with the fund. And basically, we have about four different classes. We have short term classes, long term classes in a fund um, that will go from anywhere from a 90 day call option to a five year term. We have a fund with carve out. So the carve outs are four classes. Yep. Uh, we have, uh, and it's for accredited investors only. Yep. We pay anywhere from 9% to 12%, just depending on which class that they're in. And is there a pref with that? It's that only pref. There's no profit participation. So 9 to 12, only pref. Yeah, only pref. There's no profit participation. It's like paid a debt fund. Paid out quarterly. Yeah, it's a debt fund. Paid out Correct. quarterly? Correct. Paid out yeah, quarterly. Love investors. And what is that fund? I know the, the answer to the question. What does that fund allow you to do with your business as far as scaling? Yeah, well, it helped me uh, be able to execute on 
no acquisitions. Um, today, if we are executing a trade on notes, it would just be to flip it. It won't be to do the long strategy where we're buying, taking down some notes, getting right. our asset managers in place to start doing collections with the servicers. We're not doing that model right now because the attorneys make a whole bunch of money and it usually takes anywhere from eight to 12 to sometimes two years to turn the note around to get a bar to make a payment and start making payments. So uh, right now with the notes that we have, um, you know, basically we even executing uh, selling a trade desk. Any notes that we buy would be just to buy and sell. We can kind of flip the paper. Um, it also allows us uh, to just do the fix and flips and also multifamilies. And it's written to allow, allow us to do fix and flips in specific areas, which is New Jersey, five counties, and uh, only to buy multifamilies in a southeastern region. So we just can't raise money and go, oh, we want to try a deal out in Texas. Got it. Oh, we want to go do a flip in Ohio. We can't more specific. Yeah, yeah, it's written in there with with the fund that you have, because I know you said it's a debt fund. Are you able to marry that debt fund with debt on the front end or are you buying all cash through your fund? No. So we buy all cash and then we we actually can have the ability to take leverage like some of the lenders, you know, are in the mastermind, Renovo, Lima, DLP. Those guys I have, you know, 10 million dollar line of credit with each of those lenders. So. What we'll do is we'll buy cash and then we'll go to them for the leverage piece and they'll give us, you know, maybe a, a percentage of what we purchase for that will come back into the fund as liquidity and they'll give us the construction draw. We'll do the first phase and then 48 hours they'll pay us back. So we use a mixture of both. It just depends where the market is at. If the capital markets are, you know, the cost of capital is more than we're paying our investors, we don't use it. Yeah, smart. Sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Where are you seeing what's your what's your I guess your pulse on the market now and what are you thinking? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I just want to get your ideas like what are you thinking is going to happen over the next 12, 24, 36 months if you can think out that far with the market? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really a lag in the market, so you can't really like time it, um, nor should you want to. You just have to kind of create a buffers and, and try to hedge as much as you can. Um, I I think that things will start to turn around um, the end of 2024. I think we have a long way to go. I, I see office is taking a big hit. I think another year or two office probably be 40 cents in a dollar. So that's going to be a great opportunity for those people who are there. And I don't think that market is going to come back. Probably is going to take 10 years for that to rebound. But that affects the banks who lent on that stuff, who has to do the fire sales. And then and that affects the banks who lent money on multifamily deals and then that affects yep. so on and on is a lag effect. So I think that 2024 going into 2025 when elections and everything is happening, we'll start to see some change. I don't think interest rates are going to go back down. I mean, when I came into the market, it was 9% for conventional and 7% for FHA. So, yeah, you know, I mean, they're relative. I mean, they're still relatively low compared to what they've been historically there. Yeah. We just were spoiled for, couple of years with that two, two and a half, three percent rate. Yeah, you just have to learn how to move in this market, right? So you have to adapt. If you're still doing the same strategy you was doing a year ago, then you're dog food. So I mean for me, you just have to learn how to adapt with the market and navigate the narrows, you know? Bro, this was thirty minutes. I usually go thirty, forty, twenty five. This was a lot of knowledge, man. Like people who are listening to this podcast, listen to it again. It was a lot of 
goal that you threw out there. I don't even think you realize it because it's just second nature to you. <laughs> you know, you do this for so many years, you just kind of spitball and, and put things out. But wealth of information, you're a solid individual. Paquan, if people want to follow you, get in touch with you, how do they how do they look you up? Oh, I mean, I'm on all the social media channels. I'm only going on threads. So you can go to is that at Fuquan Bilal for everything? Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, you name it. YouTube. If you want to see some of the innovation stuff we do, you go to YouTube. But I'm on all the social media sites. You can check out our website too, ngcapitalfund.com as well. Perfect. And if you guys have a deal that he can subdivide, put in a cul-de-sac, hit him up and make that deal happen. Only in North Jersey. If you got it in North Jersey, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, no Indiana, no Ohio crap, like North Jersey, that's it. Yeah, that's it, man. I appreciate you having me on the platform, man. Appreciate you coming on, brother. Really good getting to know you. Absolutely. Take care, man. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Unstoppable Real Estate Investing Wealth. My mission is to give you, my listeners, the blueprint for success, the insider secrets for starting, growing, and scaling your real estate investing business so you can experience and live the unstoppable lifestyle. I've made it simple for you. To catapult yourself to success, go to billyssecrets.com. That's B-I-L-L-Y-S secrets.com. There you will find every single tool, tip, trick, strategy, system, and secret used to make millions of dollars as a real estate investor. Everything my team uses and my guests use all in one place for you to tap into so you can start, grow, and scale your real estate investing business. I really hope you implement what you're learning. I hope you utilize these tools, tips, tricks, strategies, and secrets, and I hope to see you on the next episode. God bless. Bye-bye.